Hi, and welcome back. I'm Patrick Polk, and you're listening to The Rules of Investing. This week's episode will again be hosted by Livewire co-founder James Marley. His guest is Michelle Lopez from Aberdeen Standard Investments. Michelle was recently promoted to Head of Australian Equities at the $914 billion Asset Manager after spending more than 15 years at the firm. Her small cap fund that she's managed for over a decade has outperformed its index by nearly 5% per annum. In this episode, they'll discuss the best management team on the ASX and what sets them apart, her five pillars of a high quality company, and a high quality stock that the market is currently overlooking. Finally, if you're loving the rules of investing, then why not tell someone about it? Pick your favourite episode and send it to a friend, or just head on over to iTunes and hit subscribe. Either way, you're helping to increase the profile of the podcast, and therefore the quality of the guests that I can bring to you. Well, that's it for now. I hope you enjoy the show. your very first investment? I was part of a ASX stock picking game and that was in year 12 I believe and we had to develop a portfolio and I think it was a three month time period and from that that sort of planted a seed in my mind. Um, so when I was at university my first year and I was legally allowed to open up a trading account um, I actually bought ASX of all stocks and let's be honest here I didn't give it too much thought I guess the the only thinking behind it was I uh, took the view that this was a monopoly provider and it was absolutely core and critical to the financial system Um, so that was you know in 2000 and um, stock price I'm not sure what it was but it was a lot lower than here Mm. it was probably ten dollars and I've just held it you so still hold it? I still hold it. Oh, you've done well. Um, yeah, done well. Done well is a small amount. Yeah. So that was probably the first. Uh, but, you know, so many investments stick in my mind. Um, interestingly, I, I ran a global gold fund for, for Aberdeen um, at the time. And that was over the period of 2009 to 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just an incredible experience because it was a global fund so it wasn't just an Australian gold companies um, and I was truly fascinated by the industry so I did a deep deep dive into it I, um, I wanted to know the history of gold the connection with currencies um, I delved into the US dollar and it being backed by gold and when they moved into the Nixon in the 1970s and when the, they disconnected from the gold standard so anyhow for better or worse I became a bit of a gold bug yeah, right. and um, I, I bought a couple of gold stocks you know with with hindsight everything looked like it was quite favorable so as you can remember over that period there was an enormous amount of QE um, interest rates were coming down um, so I thought well it's quite supportive of gold fun like from a macro point of view and then you start meeting these characters these Canadian gold um, guys South Africans and it um, it really sort of hooked me in um, I dare say I lost a lot of money on <laughs> On those, but they've come good. Um, oh, you, you still know, more recently, them well? I, I, well, I hold three, mm. um, but that's a personal trading. <laughs> that was um, not so much for the um, for, yeah, for the group. Very topical at the moment, gold. It is, it is, yes. From an investment perspective, 
How would you, how do you describe the way that, that you invest, that the firm invests? Like what's the, what's at the core of what you do? Great. Um, look, the, the, the industry, again, the industry has a tendency to really box investment styles into either value or growth. And for better or worse, we don't really fit in to either of those. Uh, what we focus on is quality. And we are searching for quality companies that are being underappreciated by the market. I'm sure our discussion will go into this in a great um, amount of detail, uh, hopefully, because I think it's incredibly important to understand how um, we run money as well. But at the essence, um, if a company does not pass our quality filter, regardless of how cheap it looks or it screams, we won't even look at it and it's not investable for us. Mm. Not to say the valuation isn't important because it absolutely is. I mean, you can have a very high quality company. Uh, however, it doesn't mean it's going to A, make you money or B, be a good investment if it's fully priced and then some. Um, but for us, when you think about our investment style and process, um, first and foremost, it's quality. If we have the conviction that it is a high quality company, um, then we look at the valuation in detail. Mm. Well, let's get as practical and rather than theoretical as possible, but tell me exactly what do you mean? Like, what, what defines quality for you? Sure. Um, what defines quality? Uh, there's, you know, quality is such an obvious term and in our industry, but we are very clear around what it means for us and what we're looking for. And we break it up into five key characteristics. So I'll go through um, these in, a, in some detail, but probably not as, as detailed as um, we go through um, practically. But first is the business um, prospects and strategy. So what we're looking for here is, uh, are attractive industry characteristics, uh, a strong competitive advantage or a competitive moat. Uh, and the final piece is um, really how they're positioned within the industry? Are they price takers? Are they price makers? Do they have leading market shares? Um, what's the trajectory of that share? share? So that's the first one. Um, the second one's management. So we spend an inordinate amount of time speaking to the management of the companies that we're investing in. So that's the CEO and CFO, but it's also the next level down because we feel sometimes the conversations can be um, a little less scripted or, and, and what we get from that level. Um, why is management important? Probably three things and, and three things we look for within management. So it's execution, experience and track record. Mm. Um, it becomes particularly important when they're navigating through rougher waters as well. And it's not just management of the companies that we're looking for, but also management of when we're doing our checks. So customer suppliers, um, value, uh, players within the value chain. The third part is financials. So again, we spend a lot of time scrutinising annual reports. So balance sheets, cash flow states and the income statement, all the notes that go with that. And what we're looking for there are obviously strong balance sheets. Um, a lot of the companies that we are invested in um, not only have low gearing, but also a net cash. And that's the type um, of company that we feel are much better placed um, if, if, if conditions turn for the worse. Um, but also looking at things like return on capital and margins. The fourth factor is transparency. And this takes on um, a number of aspects. So firstly, transparency, by that we mean a clean company structure. 
So understanding where the earnings are being generated. Um, the other part is around transparency of earnings. So again, do we, can we see uh, how, where the earnings are coming from? Are they recurring? Are they one-off? Um, and then the final piece is the cash flow conversion. So again, being very clear and transparent around the conversion of those earnings into cash flow. Um, the final piece and the final factor is uh, stewardship and ESG. So we spend, again, a lot of time around governance of, of organisations and ensuring that they've got the proper frameworks in place um, and that the company is being um, sustainably run. So th the quality filter, I understand. I, get, I can see the appeal of it. Mm -hmm. But sure, if it's appealing to me, that means it's appealing to other investors and, and the attributes that you've listed, mm -hmm. um, I know are probably on the wish list of, of plenty of fund managers. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that make it um, pretty hard to find the other part of the equation or the other important part of the investment that you talked about, which is finding it at the right price? Mm -hmm. Is quality not the most crowded place to be hunting? Look, I, I have a slightly different view um, to that, and we've been able to demonstrate that uh, through a, a history of performance across a number of our funds as well. Um, you know, for me, what I consider the differentiating factor or the edge, it's actually very clear to me. Mm -hmm. Firstly, it's actually the depth, at the core, the fundamental research that we do. Uh, when I uh, sit down and, and the insights that that has generated for us, um, we've really been able to exploit market inefficiencies. Um, and I can get into the depth if, if you'd like to go there. Um, the second part is our network of investors. So we actually have 180 equity investors globally. And that really rivals a number of our uh, larger global um, peers. What, um, you know, James, you know, our small cap, large cap companies have either operations offshore, customers offshore, competitors offshore. Um, the value chain that they're playing in, majority is offshore. We have investors um, on the ground that not only speak the, the, the language, but also understand the cultural nuances. Um, and that in itself has provided us with a significant edge. Um, the third part's ESG. It's been embedded in our investment process for, for, for many, many years. And the detail that we go to um, directly engaging with the management teams, uh, again, for us, has um, the, the, I, I dare say that there's not many others that go to, to the extent that we do. So that's where, for me, it's quite clear how we do things slightly different um, and where the edge is. Your question around valuation, though, uh, we, again, back to the point around we're not value and we're not growth, we're quality investors. Um, it doesn't mean that we buy every quality company out there. And we're very specific around when there are high uh, or higher valuations on companies. The level of conviction that we need to have around uh, them meeting growth expectations needs to be much stronger than a company that is not fully factoring in. So as an example, um, you know, tech stocks, uh, you can't get away from speaking about them at the moment. Mm. Uh, we own a couple of tech stocks. Um, one of them, which is part of the wax is zero. Yeah. 
And Zero is a company that, again, questionable whether how much, and, and it's quite um, polarizing in the view from a valuation point of view. We actually still feel that there is significant value in the stock taking a five-year view as we do. And how we get to that position is A, understanding um, where growth assumptions are coming from. So where we have concerns, which is the US, which is also their greatest opportunity if they can crack, we have done significant channel checks. Um, we've used expert networks to have conversations with people um, participating in that part of the market to understand what isn't working for them, what is working for them. Likewise in the UK, a market we don't know that well. Um, however, again, we, we tap into the resources that we've got there. Um, so we've got a greater level of conviction that they're able to deliver the growth expectations. Very different to a number of other, a couple of other wax names that we're not invested in. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's it's really differentiating. Um, and and a we want to ensure that company the the product itself is embedded in workflows and is mission critical for businesses to operate. The barriers to entry are high. The competitive moat, as I mentioned before, is still going to be there in 10 years' time. Mm -hmm. um, so when we take that into account, we still feel that, still feel that there's, there's value to be had and that the, the return expectations uh, are still well above market. Zero's uh, a well-known stock. There's, mm. um, you know, it's, it's been one of those growth stories that people have been following for a time. Is there something um, else you know, that may be a bit overlooked from that quality perspective, something where you feel like maybe a recent addition where you feel like you've, you know, you've, you've used your edge to, to identify something that the, mar the rest of the market is missing? Rather than a recent addition, uh, there's a stock that we bought, initiated two or three years ago, but we've been adding to in quite a material way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's Vista Group. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Vista. Um, so Vista is a provider of software um, services to the cinema industri industry globally. Yeah. Um, so again, to, to the, the points that I was making earlier, this is a piece of software that is mission critical. The company, the cinema, cannot operate without it. It's a POS, so it does all the ticketing, it does all the scheduling, it does all the customer um, feedback engagement. They have 40% global market share. And if you strip out China, um, it's closer to 50%, although they, they are now participating in China as well. So when you think from a quality perspective, now this is a business that um, mission critical software, strong recurring earnings, um, absolute leader in the industry and the other player which is in the industry has actually um, pulled out capital and they're not going to invest any further. So they are the leader and will continue to be. And I'll, I'll go through the, the financial side in a sec, but really that's the cinema part. There's a part of this business which is called Movio, and this is where we feel uh, the market is underappreciating or doesn't really get what they're trying to do here. Um, and Movio is a, a data analytics company. Um, so essentially they're aggregating moviegoers' uh, data, so any point of contact, anonymously, of course, and that gets stored into a central database. So when Vista cinema has almost 50% global market share. You can imagine the depth and the, the value of this data. So what Movio and Movio Media is doing um, is going to the actual film studios and, and they have signed contracts with the major film studios that they can tap into this data. And what that helps them know is pre-production, 
assessment of, of customer behaviour, um, but also with their digital advertising. So we're customising the films that they're producing and making based on investor tastes using this data? Using it. Um, and again, that's at very early stage, but again, when you think about the size of the um, digital advertising market, it could be huge. Mm. Um, and it's a very small part of the business, but we feel that it could actually be as large as the, um, the core of the business, which is the cinema software. The evaluation? Um, correct, so coming back to that. Um, so again, so this company, it's operating, so its margins are in excess of 30%, have consistently been so. Uh, it's got narrow in mid-teens, but actually expanding because the Movio part is this huge amount of operating leverage there. And then it's been profitable, which not many of these tech stocks have for 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other piece of it pays a dividend. Very small one, but it pays a dividend and has consistently done that. So when you look at it on EV to sales, and it's trading on four and a half times EV to sales, um, on a 12-month forward PE of, of 34 times, 35 times, um, to us, that reflects, given what we know and where there's that latent um, upside that, that isn't being factored in, we still think it represents value. Great. One of the things that you talked about there in your, in your list is the, um, is the quality of management. And you sort of talked about how you really enjoy that ability to, to um, interrogate, um, to speak with, to, to understand um, management and their track record. What's, is there a particular management team that you think stands out? And I'm sure there's, you could say there's lots of good management team, but is there a recent conversation, a recent meeting, or is there someone, a team of one of these asx listed companies that stands out that you think is doing an exceptional job? You know, the one that stands out for me is Cochlear. Mm -hmm. um, so Cochlear is an incredible company as a standalone company as well, and it's, it's global leader and, and what they do. But when you sit down with management, there's probably three things that keep striking me um, about them. So first, it's their thinking, their strategic long-term thinking. Um, when you consider the market um, for cochlear implants and the fact that they've got close to 80% market share, you wonder, A, how did they get there? Um, B, how have they been able to maintain that? And can they maintain that? So when you approach management with that, um, they're very humble about how they got here. But when you start to dig into it, really the, the value that they ascribe to the R&D of the business is huge. And you have not seen them cut R&D, even though, and to put this into context, 12% of sales, which is their R&D spend, is more than all their competitors put together. They had a really tough time at one, play, um, at one time uh, when they had the product recall. And they a, did not cut they did not cut R&D spend, they did not cut the dividend, even though they were working through quite a difficult period because they had no earnings. Um, so they, they really do take a long-term view and, and want to ensure that their positioned, their current positioning is, is maintained. Um, the other part of it is that they're, they're not sitting on their hands. They're constantly thinking about disruption. And they've got this little sort of startup tech business going as well, um, and it's all centered around implantables. So what other, industry could you um, could implantables disrupt um, so that's going and and they put a bit of money into that uh, and then the humbleness of the, as I as I mentioned they're not they're not aggressive people 
Um, you can sit down, you challenge them, they appreciate being challenged rather than get defensive about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is part of the, the DNA, the culture that that business has been able to develop. Yeah, great. Um, the 30% Club, can you yes. introduce the 30% Club? Um, explain to me why it's, you think it's so important and why you're passionate about it. Sure. Uh, right, so the 30% Club is a group of chairs and CEOs um, that are committed to uh, bringing gender diversity into, onto the boards of um, listed companies. So it originated back in the UK in 2010, and since then it's expanded to 12 countries, I believe, and Australia is one of them. So we joined um, in 2015. Um, the objective, the sole objective, as the name suggests, is to get um, women on board at that 30% representation. For context, uh, when it started in 2015, um, we were at about 20%. So there was a 10 point and, and you know, you've got to be mindful that board refreshment and renewals take time. Um, so we're connected to this group in a number of ways. So firstly, if I take the group, our, our chairman, Sir Douglas Flynn, he's on the CEO club in the UK. And then locally, we sit on the, and we um, participate on the 30% club working groups. Um, and what those working groups do, um, literally sit around a table like this, and representation of fund managers like myself that, that feel strongly about this issue. And it's, as, you know, it's very well um, part, reflected both female and male in the working groups as well. So a number of um, my male peers uh, are quite vocal about it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we sit around and, and talk about the challenges with it, what has been the feedback from boards, from management, how can we break through this? Um, so pleasingly, and the AICD, so the Australian Institute um, of Company Directors, the, the most recent numbers that they've put out, we've hit the target. So ASX 200 companies are at that 30% representation, which is, which is great. Yep. Um, the Australian chapter of the 30% Club has now put out a new target. Um, which good on them and we're absolutely backing and that's to get the next level of companies um, at the 30% mark. So initially the target was for the 2000, uh, ASX 200 companies and now it's the 30% target for the ASX 300 companies by 2021. So, you know, we've got three years um, or two and a half years to see if we can do that. From my perspective, um, why I think this is very important Firstly and foremost, it's diversity of thought that we need more of in our industry. Um, so gender is an important issue that needs to be raised, um, but it's part of a bigger, um, part of a bigger um, governance framework, if, if you wish. Um, it makes absolute sense for me um, as it, we're doing it already. You know, we are engaging directly with the chairs, with the boards of the companies that we're invested in. We're having these conversations already. And, you know, we've got real case studies of, of companies that we've been engaging with um, behind, behind closed doors. And the, the impact that we've been able to have, um, you know, is it takes time, but, but we've, we've, we've done some really good work around this. Um, so by joining um, and by, by really promoting the 30% the club, um, we're doing it already. So it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense.
I want to get to a little bit of a, a pain story now, and everyone that comes in for a chat has to go through this process. So, oh, there's many there. <laughs> yeah, well, the more we, we only need one, but it needs to be graphic. Graphic. Yeah. Right. Mm. Biggest mistake you've made, or a, a, a really painful mistake that you've made, and uh, and the lesson that you learned that makes you a better investor today. Okay. Uh, I can't go past QBE. It's um, buying other people's problems. Yes. Uh, that's just a story of um, what was a very high-quality Australian-focused business originating out of um, Queensland. Um, you know, we knew that business very well. It was run very well. However, when they went on this big sort of shopping spree, um, what we didn't realise is, A, probably buying other people's problems, but what they were buying had... Um, had no scope, uh, sorry, had no um, scale. It, within insurance, uh, there are part, times of the market that acquisitions make sense when interest rates are coming down. And QBE had the philosophy that if we acquire, we can get scale. But what they're acquiring were businesses that couldn't just add on to others. So the US, there was a lot of acquisitions in the US, in Latin America, in Asia. Mm -hmm. um, and the other part of it is the cycle. Um, my big lesson learnt here is don't bet against a cycle. Um, we had interest rates coming down quite materially and a big part of an insurer's um, earnings and portfolio, as you know, the investment book, um, when you've got a big chunk of that in bonds and interest rates are coming down, then there's the earnings are getting crunched at the same time that your balance sheet is, is looking a bit stretched because you've done all these acquisitions. And, and, you know, now that I look, think back and I think about our quality filters, um, number one lesson learned is the cycle. Number two also is um, you need to really cross-check management. Um, and there's management teams that, that are very reassuring and you leave meetings thinking, okay, they've got this under control, when in actual fact, um, perhaps they don't. Um, and, and, you know, we were, we were supporters of that, that company um, for, for a number of capital raisings as well. And, and in the end, we just, and, and we sold out, um, I would say three years ago now. Um, however, it was a very painful journey. Mm. Alrighty, good story. Um, last question for you. Um, you have two young daughters. I do. Uh, what advice are you gonna give them about investing? Wow. Uh, look, I, for me, I wish I was given this advice. So I'd like to impart it to my daughters. And, and that's just make as many mistakes as you can as early as you can. Um, and importantly, learn from them. So we have a motto at home and it goes along the lines of sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. Um, and I think that's a really important um, philosophy to live by, whether it's just life generally or, or investing, um, we're not going to be able to get it wrong, right all the time. So you've really got to learn when you do, when you do stuff up. Um, so yes, uh, and from there, you know, investing is one of those things that you need to, you need to live and breathe it. It's not something you can impose um, on anyone if you don't have that natural curiosity to just get in there and, and just discover unhidden gems or just like we were saying, those conversations with management, um, that's got to come from inside. You can't really impose that on anyone. Um, but yes, I would love them to, to 
learn a lot of lessons really early on. Take risks, there'll be plenty of time for, um, for, for risk aversion. Yeah, great. Well, listen, thank you very much for coming in. No, it was my pleasure, thank you. And congratulations on your, uh, your new appointment at Aberdeen and I wish you all the best. Thank you.